All right, hello, Christ community. Uh, greetings to our West Campus and our 15th Street Campus and our Traditions venue, as well as our friends in LaSalle. We're glad, we're glad that all of you are here. Uh, before we jump into the message, I wanted to reiterate something shared earlier in the video announced. Let's maybe expand on a little bit. This upcoming Saturday is our second Serve Day opportunity this summer. Now, instead of doing one big Serve Day on Labor Day, which we've done for a few years, we call that Share Fest. Instead of doing that, we are we are actually multiplying that. So we're doing four different serve days over the course of this year. So this coming Saturday, we're focusing on helping some of the organizations that we work with through For the City and Beyond. Organizations like uh, Love Made Claim, which is a ministry helping women who are um, coming out of sex trafficking. Or there's another organization we're working with called Jobs of Hope, which helps um, people in, in uh, coming out of gangs, kind of help them get established and all that. Those are just a couple of the organizations that we're actually working with this coming Saturday. And so by serving on Saturday, if you choose to do this by serving, you're going to have an opportunity not only to help these organizations, but also to hear firsthand, to learn what they're doing and to see firsthand some of the stories of people's lives are being changed. And so we have space. We still have space for about a hundred spots. Okay. A hundred spots, they fill up and once one organization that's filled up, then that organization, that, that's full, and so you'll have to do another one. So I encourage you to go online as soon as possible um, uh, this weekend. Uh, the deadline is Monday. Go online and sign up, and you get to choose what organization that you want to serve and work with. So let, let's continue to be for our city and to be about changing people's stories together. So that's a cool way to do that. Well, one of, one of the greatest basketball players to have ever lived was a guy named Walt, Walt Chamberlain. Walt Chamberlain was seven feet tall. <clears throat> he had amazing skills in every area of basketball. I mean, he could move with agility. He could score at will. He could dribble efficiently. He was a complete basketball player, except for one area free throws. Uh, Will Chamberlain was a horrible free throw shooter. He was an amazing shot when he had three people guarding him and he was going to the basket. But when he was standing by himself at the free throw line, 15 feet from the basket, something happened. He missed way more than he ever made, which is why teams they just they decided their strategy was just going to be to foul him relentlessly because they figured out the only way, the best way to stop him was to get him to the free throw line. Now, there was one season in Chamberlain's career, there was one season in which his free throw shooting percentage increased dramatically. In fact, it was during this particular season that he broke the NBA record for the most points scored in a game, in, in a single game, 100 points, if you can believe that. It's a, it's a record that will never be broken. Even Stephen Curry can't come close to that. So during that amazing game, when Chamberlain scored 100 points, he made 28 out of 32 free throws. That's like 87%. So how did he do that? He used a different method of shooting free throws. He shot all of his free throws in that game underhanded. Granny style, right? He shot them underhanded, which according to the laws of physics is actually a better way to shoot free throws. There's less room for error. There's a softer landing, all of those things. So when Chamberlain shot free throws underhanded, his shooting percentage increased dramatically. He was unstoppable. 
But not long after that 100-point game, not long after that game, Chamberlain decided to go back to the old way of shooting free throws, even though it meant scoring way, way fewer points. He went back to the old way. So why did he choose to go back to the old way? Well, in his autobiography, he admits the reason. He said, I didn't want to look silly. I didn't want to look silly. Here's a professional athlete who stopped doing something that would be incredibly beneficial to his team, incredibly beneficial to himself and his scoring percentage and all of those things. He stopped doing that. Why? Because he was afraid of what other people would think of him. How, how many of us wrestle with that same fear? The fear of what other people will think of us or what other people will do to us. That fear is devastating. It is debilitating. It robs us of achieving our full potential. It robs us of joy and peace. It robs us of experiencing life. And every one of us here is vulnerable to it. Now, given the damage that this particular fear can have in our lives, it is no surprise that Jesus addresses this very issue. If you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 12. If you don't, that's okay. We'll have the words on the screen here. But turn to Luke chapter 12. We're in the midst of a, a, a journey through the book of Luke, and we're, we're learning directly from Jesus. And so let's look at Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Okay, so Luke tells us here that we'll, we'll continue in this. This is the first section we're going to focus on initially here. So Luke tells us that many thousands of people, by now Jesus' popularity is growing, many thousands of people had gathered to hear and to see Jesus. So many people had gathered, Luke tells us, that they were actually trampling on each other. So with all these thousands of people, imagine the scene, thousands of people there, Jesus brings his disciples to himself. He calls his disciples. He wants to say something to his disciples. So he calls his disciples close to him, and he addresses this very issue, the fear of man, the fear of what other people think. He says, look, don't be afraid of people. Don't, don't be afraid of what other people will think of you or, or what they can do to you. See, Jesus realizes our, our vulnerability to, to peer pressure, you know, to do and say what other people, you know, want us to do and say so that we can become more popular. Remember, all the crowds are there. That's why he's teaching them this right here. So we can become more popular, so we can become more well-liked by people. He knows the damage that this particular fear can bring into our lives. And so he spends this whole section here, a significant portion of time in this passage, warning us about the fear of man and why it is so devastating, why it's so destructive to fear what other people think of us. So look with me again at verse one. We're gonna unpack this. Be on your guard, he says, against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden 
that will not be made known. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders in the Jewish community. They, they were the experts, right? They were the ones who called the shots in terms of what you could do and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath and all those things, all the religious observances. As Pastor Stetson talked about last week, the Pharisees were not evil people. They sincerely wanted to follow God's commands. The problem is they just got off track. They began to focus more on external behavior, the do's and don'ts, right? And they ended up missing the heart. And Jesus strongly, as Stetson looked at in the passage last week, he strongly rebuked them for that. So now here we are in the next section. And in this passage, in our passage, Jesus pulls his disciples aside and he says to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he gives a specific name to their condition. The name is hypocrisy. So what is hypocrisy? Well, the word hypocrisy means to pretend. It is a word that comes from the idea of stage actors and actresses. So people in a play, on a stage, they're playing a part, right? They're playing a role that isn't who they really are. That they are pretending to be someone that they're not, which is totally acceptable. It's totally understandable when it comes to being in a play or being in a movie. That's how acting and, and drama, that's how those things work. The problem is, as Jesus highlights here, the problem is we often live our lives that same way. We live our lives pretending to be someone that we're not. Putting up a false front in order to impress people or to be thought of in a particular way. And the reason we do this is fear. The reason we do this is fear, a fear of what other people will think of us or how other people will respond to us. What Jesus is describing here is the fact that the fear of man, this is very important, the fear of man causes us to hide our true selves. The fear of what other people think of us causes us to hide our true selves. That's what he's talking about, hiddenness here. Now, for the Pharisees, they hid behind their religious behavior. They were hiding behind their religious behavior. They hid behind their church attendance and their public prayers. They did these things, these spiritual things, in order to impress other people, in order to look good, in order to be perceived as being holy and being close to God, right? Look how long I pray. Look at how I give, all that stuff which again, we talked, Stetson talked about last week. And, and we, but we, we do the same thing. We do the same thing, right? We, maybe we, we go to church or we go to our e-group with a forced smile on our face, you know, telling everyone, oh, I'm doing great, you know? And, and we want everyone to see our well-behaved children. Um, we want everyone to see our spouse's smiling face. We want everyone to think that we're doing really, really well when maybe we're not doing well. Maybe, maybe some addiction is eating our lunch, Maybe our marriage is on the brink of divorce. Maybe we're battling with suicidal thoughts. Maybe, but we don't want anyone to know what's really going on. So we pretend that everything is great. That's religious hiding. We're hiding behind these religious things. But it goes way beyond religious hiding. This, this, this goes beyond just religious hiding. I mean, we, we hide in all sorts of other ways, right? We, we, we try to hide behind our business success. Oh, look at how successful a business is. You know, and that, that, that's the way we hide our true selves because we want people to think a certain thing about us because of that. We hide behind our GPA or the number of Facebook friends we have 
or we hide behind this perfect image that we're trying to project. So we only post, you know, social media pictures of ourselves that make us look really good. The other, the other day we were at a Rockies game, my family, we were at a Rockies game and, and doing the, you know, the selfie picture thing. It got all of us in the shot and everything. And, and I was just about to post on Facebook and I noticed that in this particular um, shot, it looked like I had three chins. And I said, you know, I'm not posting it. And so I didn't. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we work really hard to present to the world this, this false self, this self that is attractive and smart and witty and that has our, we, we have our act together, right? No weaknesses. And we keep our real self hidden. We keep our real self hidden. It's hypocrisy, right? We're pretending. And why do we do that? It's fear. It's a deeply rooted fear of what other people will think of us. What if, this is what we're thinking, what if they find out what I'm really like and they reject me? What if they find out that I don't really know what I'm doing um, or that I don't have my act together? What if they find out that I secretly, secretly struggle with an addiction to pain meds? or I secretly struggle with anxiety. See, we, we, we all have this, this God-given longing to be known. It's, it's God-given. It's this longing, we have this longing to be known, and yet at the same time, we also have this huge fear of being known, <laughs> of being discovered, of being exposed, which is why we hide. Now this fear, this, this hiddenness thing that Jesus is describing here, it's very subtle. And yet it's very destructive. In fact, Jesus describes it here in terms of yeast. Interesting. It takes just a little bit of yeast to impact an entire loaf of bread, right? Of, of dough. And the same thing, just a small amount of this fear can have a huge impact. It can lead to depression, to anxiety, to suicidal thoughts, to workaholism, to addictions, to exhaustion. Dr. Brene Brown, who's a, a researcher and a, really a sociological expert, um, she's done a ton of research in this whole area. It's fascinating stuff. But she did a TED Talk a few years ago called The Power of Vulnerability. And it was about how we hide and why we hide. That TED Talk has been viewed over 20 million times. Do we think this might be a universal struggle, right? This, this is a universal struggle that goes for humanity, and it goes all the way back to the first few pages of the Bible. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, and their first response to their sin, their first response, remember, it was to hide from God and from each other. They hid from God, they hid from each other for fear of being exposed, for fear of being known. And folks, that, we talk about sin, you know, that's at the root, we see it in Genesis 3, that's what sin does. That's what sin ultimately does. It causes us to hide. It causes us to hide behind this false self that we're projecting. So Dr. Brown, in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, she writes this, perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought. If I looked, if, excuse me, if I look perfect, 
live perfectly and do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. If I can look perfect, then I can minimize my own feelings of shame and judgment and blame. That's the lie. But that's why we live this way. It's fear. This is us. Again, we long to be known, we long to be loved, and yet we're afraid to go there. And so we live, we really live divided lives. We're hiding behind, our true self is here, but we're hiding behind this false self of perfectionism. And it's killing us. It's killing us. So what's the answer? Is there a different way to live? Absolutely. Jesus tells us in this passage how we can live our lives free from the debilitating and destructive fear of man. And ironically, the answer is to not, the answer is not to get rid of fear. No, the answer is actually to exchange one fear for another. The answer is to exchange one fear for another. You see, there is a fear that binds us, and there is a fear that liberates us. And Jesus invites us to live in the fear that liberates. So look, look clearly at what Jesus says next. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. That's the fear of man. Do not be afraid of those. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. See, Jesus urges us to exchange our fear of man for a fear of God. So while a, while a fear of man binds us and it destroys us, a healthy fear of God actually frees us. A healthy fear of God actually pours life into us. But what exactly is the fear of of God. This is a major theme in the Bible. The fear of God is mentioned over 150 times as a good thing. It is 150, it's mentioned 150 times. It is, it, it, it's described as being a posture of blessing. It's described as being a, 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 a posture of protection and of wisdom, all these really, really good things. To fear God is an incredibly powerful thing. But it also is a bit confusing, right? Because the Bible, doesn't the Bible talk about perfect love casting out fear and, and that God did not give us a spirit of fear? So what, what is going on here? Well, that, those are great questions. And let's kind of dig in here and, and dig a little deeper. This is really, really important. In Jesus' words here, he actually, in, in his teaching here, he unpacks for us this really, really important and powerful description of what it looks like to fear God. He tells us right here. I mean, there, and there are actually, we're going to see there are actually three aspects of the fear of God that Jesus highlights. So the first aspect is reverence. Reverence, which is what Jesus is describing in the verse we just read. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. See, Jesus just tells it like it is, right? <laughs> I mean, he just tells it like it is. And that's what's so fun about this series because we're, we're just going verse by verse through Jesus' words here. We're not just picking a verse here. And, you know, we're just kind of going through this, just looking at what he said. And sometimes, man, that's hard. And that's right. We're just digging into that. So this, this is the, exactly, this passage describes this. He tells it just like it is. He doesn't pull any punches or try to soften things. He just lays it out there. We are not to fear people and what they can say about us or what they can do to us. No, no, no. We are to fear God. 
This holy God who has the power to pour out judgment upon our sin. That's the one, Jesus says, that's the one we should fear. Now the fear Jesus is describing is a totally appropriate response in the presence of a holy God. We should fear him. When we get a glimpse of how awesome and holy God is, we should fear him. There should be a sense of awe and reverence and humility that we demonstrate before him. He is not simply our buddy. He is not our homeboy. He's not our pal or whatever. He is God. He is transcendent. He is holy. Fear is a totally appropriate response to a God like that. It is a very healthy thing to fear God. It is a very healthy thing, spiritually speaking. So a few weeks ago, our family went to a wedding in, in California. We drove out there. And I thought we went to, we were driving through Lake Tahoe. We'd never seen it before, which was amazing. And uh, so then when we were done there, we, I decided that I thought it would be cool to do this mountain route just south rather than the route that takes you to Sacramento or whatever. We decided to do, I decided, uh, to do this mountain route that would go south of Lake Tahoe. And I thought, oh, the scenery would be great and all that. So Within 15 minutes of taking this route, I found myself on this very narrow mountain road. You know, one of those where one false move and we all perish, okay? It was one of those deals. And everyone in the car was asleep. Um, I was terrified. I mean, I was gripping the steering wheel like it was a, you know, it was a, a life preserver and I was drowning. I mean, it was, it was tough. I was afraid. I, I was afraid. Not of the mountain. I was afraid of the consequences of driving over the edge. And that was actually a good fear to have. It kept me driving very carefully, as far from the edge as possible, even though it was just one lane, it felt like, but I was trying to stay as far from the edge as possible. See, a reverential fear of God is a really good thing. It is a really good thing because it motivates us to align our lives with God's holy purposes rather than driving as close to the edge as possible, which is sort of what our world urges us to do, right? Oh yeah, go as close to the edge as possible. It'll be fun. Um, so a healthy fear of God, a healthy fear of God moves us to say, you know, I'm not going to that party. Just not. Or I'm not, I'm not looking at that website. I'm not going there. I'm not going to respond to that person at work who's flirting with me. Um, I'm, I'm staying as far away from the edge as possible. See, that, that is, listen very carefully, that is not legalism. That, that is not some religious adherence to some rules and regulations. No, 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 that is not legalism. That is wisdom. That's wisdom. And it will save us from a world of hurt down the road when we walk according to wisdom. And this is why this this is why Solomon, King Solomon says in the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, he says, which is in the Old Testament, some wise sayings, he says this. In fact, read this with me here. Read this out loud. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A reverential fear of God is an incredibly healthy, good thing. It's a wise thing. Okay, so that's one aspect of the fear of God, but it's not the only one. We're going to see this complete picture here. That Jesus then describes a second aspect of a healthy fear of God. Look with me at the next verse. Verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. 
You are worth more than many sparrows. Okay, now hold it here. I thought Jesus just said that we were to fear God, but then he says here, don't be afraid. <laughs> so what, what is this about? What, what Jesus is doing, he, he's broadening our understanding of what the fear of God looks like. He's broadening our understanding so we have a complete picture of what the fear of God looks like. Yes, it is, it is reverential fear. There's absolutely an aspect of that, which we just talked about. But it is not a fear. That should not be a fear that causes us to feel ashamed or causes us to feel unworthy or causes us to feel condemned. No, a healthy fear of God recognizes how valuable we are to him. A healthy fear of God uh, causes, it, it causes us to recognize how valuable we are in his sight, in his heart. It, it's a fear that involves intimacy. It's a fear that involves intimacy. That's what Jesus is describing here. Intimacy. Into me see. Intimacy. That's what intimacy is. It is being known. See, remember we talked earlier about our tendency to hide because of fear of man, a tendency to hide behind, behind our facades, right, of having it all together and all that, uh, our fear of being known. We, we, our, that's our tendency. What, what, what Jesus described, what an amazing alternative Jesus describes here. Rather than hiding for fear of being known, he describes being intimately known by the God of the universe and being loved by him. It's so powerful how Jesus articulates this. In, in that culture, the sparrow was the least valuable of all the animals. And he specifically chose this illustration because everyone there would have known it. See, here's the way it worked. When you would go to the temple to offer a sacrifice, you'd offer an animal sacrifice. And typically that would be like a lamb or a goat or something like that. But if you didn't have enough money, if you were a poor person, didn't have enough money to purchase the appropriate sacrifices, they let you purchase five sparrows for two pennies. So Jesus chooses what people viewed as the least valuable of the animals to make his point. He says, God values each sparrow who was worth less than a penny. How much more does he know you and does he love you and does he value you? You are worth so much more to him than a few pennies. Jesus says he even knows the number of hairs on your head, which for some of us is an, e is an easier count than others, but, uh, but he, he, is, he is that well acquainted with you. He's that well acquainted with you. If you brush your hair tonight, he knows how many are left and how many were in that brush. He knows he's that, he's that well acquainted with us. See, Jesus is, Jesus is saying to fear God is to live in this wonderful truth that in Jesus, you are loved and you are valued by God. You don't need to hide from him. And you don't need to hide from other people either when you know that you're loved by him. So you, you don't need to project this false self to others, to other people, you know, trying to be perfect in order to be accepted. No, no, you don't need to do that. Why? Because in Jesus, you were loved unconditionally. You were loved unconditionally. See, Jesus wants us to be real. He wants us to, to, to know how valuable we are to him, just the way we are. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are valuable to him just the way you are? Most of us don't. Most of us don't believe that. 
I mean, we can quote the right scriptures, but most of us in here, we don't believe that. Honestly, most of us live with this core belief. Maybe we don't verbalize it, but many, many of us have it right here. We live with this core belief that God doesn't really love me. He knows me, but he doesn't really love me. I'm too much of a mess up. I'm too overweight. I'm too skinny. My personality is too extroverted. My personality is too introverted. I'm too emotional. I'm too insecure. I'm ugly. I'm anxious. I'm addicted. I'm whatever. You fill in the blank. We all hear that. See, what are those things deep within you that you have convinced yourself that God could never love you because of that? That God could never love you because of what you've done or because of who you are or whatever. What, what are those things? And then here's the, here's the key question. What would it look like to open these places to a God who values you the way Jesus describes? What would it look like to open these places of your heart to Jesus? These painful memories, these places where people spoke words that were curses upon you and, and, or these things you believed about yourself, these places of shame and failure. What if you invited Jesus into those places, opened your heart to experience his love for you right there? See, if you think, if any of us here, if you think those places are beyond his reach because of what you've done or how bad they were, if you think any of those places are beyond his reach, you don't understand the nature of the cross. If you think any of those places are beyond his reach, you don't understand the nature of the cross. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't say it's finished except for Kristen's rebellious past or except for Anthony's porn addiction. No, he didn't say that. He said, it is finished, period. His love is big enough to reach those deep, dark places of shame and failure, and bring his, his value of us. And by the way, I just want to say here, we have a prayer ministry, a really cool prayer ministry here at, at church called Hope Abounds, where someone can pray with you and help you experience Jesus in your places of shame. And so if this is really resonating with you and you feel like, I don't even know where to go with this, we have a ministry. It's free. You can call the church office, set up an appointment. It's called Hope Abounds. Hope Abounds. So to fear God is to let, his, let him love you and value you right here, right now, with all the baggage and all the pain and all the shame that you bring, because you are worth so much more to him than the sparrows, that he already he cares about the sparrows. You are worth far much more to him than those sparrows, and he cares about them. And Jesus wants us to know this. And to realize this is part of the fear of God. It's living in this recognition of his absolute passionate love and value of you. Well, the third aspect of the fear of God is allegiance. Allegiance. So we've talked about reverence. We've talked about intimacy. Now Jesus talks about allegiance, a resolute allegiance to God. Look with me beginning in verse 8. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others... The Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. 
When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Okay, so Jesus is describing a very real situation where the fear of God and the fear of man face each other head on. And that's a situation where a follower of Jesus is brought out into public, they're brought before authorities, and they're asked the question, where does your allegiance lie? Who is your ultimate allegiance with? And the clear implication is that if they, in this scenario here, if they declare their allegiance to Jesus, they may die, Right? That's, that's the context here. They're, they, they're going to experience persecution. They may even be killed. I mean, this is serious, what Jesus is talking about. And right now, even though we don't really face this in America, um, at this level, uh, in general, you know, many of our friends in Syria right now face this every day. They face this every day. The, the reality that this could happen to them at any moment. And brothers and sisters in North Korea, there are many, many places around the world where the persecution is horrible. And um, you could lose your life any day for admitting that your allegiance is to Jesus. We saw a video last November where these believers in Jesus, these friends of ours, said, we will follow Jesus even if it means going to our death. We will do that. And all we ask is that you make sure if we die, would you make sure that we have a Christian burial? That's allegiance to Jesus. It's no matter what the cost, I'm following him. See, that's the kind of allegiance Jesus is describing as part of this whole context of fearing God? Are, 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 we, are we willing to publicly acknowledge our allegiance to Jesus, no matter what the cost? Or will the fear of what other people think keep us silent in the classroom, in our workplace, in our families, in our silence? By our silence, maybe we're just kind of denying publicly, sort of, not acknowledging. Who do we fear more? People. Or God? See, that, that's the root issue, right? Who do we fear more? Do we fear people or do we fear God? Jesus calls us to have him be our first and highest allegiance. Now, I love, I just read this, but I love how in verse 11 and 12, Jesus says that he's going to, here's the cool thing, he's going to be with us in these moments of trial, right? Even if you're brought before these authorities or whatever, he says, Holy Spirit will give us the words <laughs> and the courage that we need right in that moment. He's going to give us exactly what we need to say. So we don't need to worry. We don't need to fear that because he's going to be with us, which is such a cool promise. His presence and his grace are with us always. And here's the deal that we often miss in this passage. They're with us always, even when we fail, even when we mess up, even when we fail him. Now, what do, you, what do I mean by that? Well, look, look, look at verse 10 which is by far the most worried about passage in the entire Bible uh, because it talks about the unforgivable sin, right? And everyone wonders if they've committed the unforgivable sin. Okay, verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. See, everyone wants to know, most believers at least, want to know whether or not they've committed the unforgivable sin. And a lot of people feel this fear about this question, wondering if maybe they've committed that and maybe they won't be forgiven for that. Now, here's the deal. If you're asking that question, you haven't. 
Okay? If you're asking a question, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. Because the unforgivable sin that Jesus is describing is the sin of perpetually denying the work of the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's perpetually denying the work of the Spirit in your life. In other words, it is to fully reject the message and the ministry of Jesus, permanently and publicly denying any of his influence in your life perpetually doing that. That's why it can't be forgiven. It's because the person is persisting in it. This word blaspheme, it is a very strong word. It means to revile. Someone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit doesn't want to be forgiven. They are persisting in their rejection of the Spirit who attests to the ministry of Jesus, right? That's why it's unforgivable. They don't want to be forgiven. Now, here's what we often miss in this verse. <laughs> we jump to the unforgivable part, but, but we miss a really, really important thing, Jesus says. Look again at verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Did you hear that? <laughs> Forgiveness is available to anyone who speaks a word against Jesus. In other words, anyone who fails to acknowledge him in a public situation, anyone who, 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 who bows to the fear of man, even in that circumstance, Jesus' forgiveness is available. That's what he says here. His forgiveness is available to those who ask. And if you're asking for his forgiveness, it means you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. Okay, so, so, so we've seen how a healthy fear of God involves reverence, it involves intimacy, and it involves allegiance. Now, this is so important, this, this, this whole passage really is so important, that I want to try to summarize in one statement all that Jesus is saying in this passage. Here's how I would summarize it. When you truly fear God, you don't need to be afraid of anything else. That's what Jesus is saying when you truly fear God, you don't need to be afraid of anything or anyone else. Which means, and this is really, really important, it means that when we find ourselves, and we all do this, we find ourselves living in that fear of what other people will think of us, right? In the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, and all the destructive manifestations we talked about of that, right? Tonight, we've talked about many, many manifestations today. We talked about that. When we find ourselves in that place, the solution is to rekindle in our hearts a healthy fear of God. That's the solution. When we find ourselves battling with the fear of man and other people think, the solution is to cultivate in our hearts a healthy fear of God. What does that mean? Well, that may mean focusing our hearts on the glory and the holiness of God and just kind of reestablishing who's God and who's not and his position as Lord of the universe and just is the, the reverence aspect is just reminding our heart. Maybe it, be, it would be in wor revering him in worship, but just cultivating this reverential fear of God. That may be how we can cultivate that. Or, and it could be or and, right? All these things, but it also could mean focusing, on heart, uh, um, focusing our hearts on his love for us, allowing his love into our places of shame and, and rejection cultivating the intimate aspect of a healthy fear of God. Or, and or, it could mean recommitting our heart 
to absolute allegiance to Jesus, declaring afresh our devotion and our love for him, no matter what other people will say or do to us. To walk in a healthy fear of God, cultivating reverence and intimacy and allegiance, folks, it is an incredibly powerful and joyful and peaceful way to live. Incredibly powerful way to live. Because when you truly fear God, you don't have to be afraid of anything or anyone else. Amen. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, would you come and, and just apply these truths as we respond to the word? And as we're, as we're quieting our hearts here, I just want to mention something. Because we, 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 we intentionally order our services the way we do. Because we want more time at the end to respond to the word. And that's why if you just hear a message online or you hear a message and then you go home or whatever, I, I feel like you miss something significant. It's the opportunity to respond with God's people in worship. And we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that in our time together. And I wanna just mention here, when we do that, I realize there may be some of you that are agnostic, you may be atheists, and we're just so glad you're here. You're exploring these things. We are so glad you're here. And so whenever we enter into a time of response like we're going to, please feel no pressure to respond. The worst thing that can happen is responding sort of in an inauthentic way. We're not about inauthenticity. And so we just want you to be real. And so that may mean just you're not going to sing a song or you're just observing or whatever. And that is totally cool. It is totally fine. We're just glad you're here. But the way we want to respond, as we were praying about the service, um, we wanted to respond with three songs of worship. And each song is going to reflect a particular aspect of the fear of God that we just talked about. And so the first song, and I'm going to pray for a little bit just in, into that, but the first song we're going to do has to do with intimacy. And it's an opportunity for us just to let the love of God fill our hearts as his children. The second song is going to have to do with reverence. And it's this, this opportunity just to revere and worship God in his holiness. And then the third song is going to focus on allegiance. It's an opportunity for us to declare afresh our allegiance to Jesus. So let's just quiet our hearts. And I want us to just prepare our hearts for this, this first song in this response, which is about intimacy. And just this question, are there any places in your life where you are believing a lie that God really doesn't love you because of this or that or something you've done or things you've done in the past or whatever the lie is. And I wonder if as we respond in just a moment, would you be willing to let Jesus into that place, into those places and bring his forgiveness and his love and his healing into those places. Because part of the fear of God is experiencing his value of us in Christ.
So Holy Spirit, we, we pray that as we respond to you, that you, in, in, these, in these time of worship, you would grow us in all these aspects of the fear of God, in particular right now, just this aspect of intimacy. We open our hearts to you. We love you, God. Thank you, Lord.